millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome again to the Explaining History podcast, and in this episode I want to talk about the Jewish leader David Ben-Gurion and immigration into Palestine, into the Palestinian mandate after 1945, that being Jewish immigration, obviously. In previous podcasts I've spoken quite a bit about Menachem Begin and Irgun and the Stern Gang. Uh, and the Jewish terrorism against the British in the Palestinian Mandate. The arch-nemesis of Menachem Begin was Ben-Gurion, and the interesting thing about the two of them is that their paths collide and their journeys and stories are remarkably similar. Since the mid-1930s in the Mandate, Ben-Gurion had been head of the Jewish Agency, which supplied uh, provided services to Jewish people who had emigrated to Palestine, such as education, housing and cultural uh, activities and, and, and that sort of thing. Uh, Ben-Gurion himself, much as uh, Begin had, uh, was a, a former Tsarist Pole. Uh, he had emigrated to Palestine uh, at the age of 20 in 1906 and at that point, the, this was long before the British had arrived, um, this was at the point when Palestine was a, a province, a vilayet of the Ottoman Empire. So Ben-Gurion predates British intervention, he predates the Balfour Declaration, and he predates the First World War uh, as a citizen of uh, Palestine. And he represented a branch of Zionism that was quite different from that which uh, Menachem Begin and Begin's political mentor, the revisionist fascist um, Vladimir Yavatinsky, uh, represented. Uh, Ben-Gurion was a socialist and believed that Zionism and socialism was compatible, i.e. that a, a form of socialist society could be created by the development of a Jewish homeland in Palestine. And it had been this uh, perspective that had seen him kicked out in 1915 for uh, leftist and Zionist agitation by, and it was the Turks that expelled him, and he, he returns with the British at the end of the war. 
There was only a brief period during the war when Palestine was in danger of occupation by the Nazis, um, when in 1941 Rommel's armies make it close to Alexandria and one push through the Sinai would have found them in southern Palestine. However, this doesn't come to pass, and in reality it's entirely possible that Nazi supply lines and um, fuel lines would not have stretched quite that far. So, from the perspective of uh, Palestine, a relatively safe, uh, give or take a few Italian bombings, uh, enclave for Jewish people during the war, the ability to witness the destruction of Jews Jews in Europe enabled Palestinian Jews, or Mandate Jews, to have a fairly unique perspective on what they perceived to be the the future of Jews in the world at all. It was believed by Ben-Gurion that if the war dragged on any longer, that there would be no Jews left in Europe. Jewish leaders in Palestine were quite surprised, therefore, that survivors numbering in their hundreds of thousands emerged from the camps about 200,000 emerged initially, uh, within weeks of 40,000 or so of those had died. Um, there were 300,000 Jews who had uh, managed to survive the camps altogether. And as I've previously mentioned, Europe in the immediate aftermath of the Holocaust is an extremely hostile place for Jewish people to live. There are all sorts of localised anti-Semitisms, the uh, tensions, the anti-Semitic uh, tensions unleashed by the Nazis during the war are still rife. The countries such as Poland, Ukraine and much of Eastern Europe, including and also well, the Soviet Union, are extremely poor and shattered by war and famine. And it's quite easy for Jews to fall victims in these circumstances. Also... The newly formed governments of Eastern Europe, um, governments of national uh, national coalition governments and communist governments, um, and the national coalition governments are simply incubators for uh, Stalinists, all looked to force Jews and other national minorities out to create uh, ethnically homogenous countries to rule over. Uh, the countries are in Eastern Europe, from uh, Hungary to uh, the Soviet Union, Poland, Czechoslovakia and Romania, opened their gates in order for only, only for Jews to leave. They were obviously paranoid about controlling their own populations, but forcing the Jews out and allowing a mass exodus of the Jews was a, a good thing in their eyes. Not only would they be able to force out a, a disliked uh, ethnic minority, but also it would serve to destabilise the British mandate in Palestine and be, uh, they could almost weaponise refugees against uh, imperialism. Their first port of call was, ironically, Germany and Austria, traversing over into, essentially, um, the Western Allies' areas of control, um, an, an irony that was not lost on many of the refugees, many of whom who would have felt deeply traumatised the moment they heard German voices again. In Palestine, amongst the Jews who had lived amongst the Mandate for many years, there were occasionally surprisingly unsympathetic uh, things to be said about the 
uh, refugees who were pouring into the mandate. Um, Amos Oz, uh, who wrote in his uh, memoir A Tale of Love and Darkness, said the following, We generally treated them with compassion and a certain revulsion. Miserable wretches. Was it our fault that they chose to sit and wait for Hitler instead of coming here while there was still time? Why did they allow themselves to be led like sheep to the slaughter instead of organising and fighting back? And if only they'd stop nattering in Yiddish and stop telling us about all the things that were done to them over and over there. Because it doesn't reflect too well on them, or us for that matter. Anyway, our faces here are turned towards the future, not the past. A strikingly unsympathetic perspective, and one which um, I think, on some kind of knowing level, ignores some fundamental points about the difficulties of Jewish migration to the mandate during the 1930s anyway, and the notion that Jewish people were simply led like lambs to the slaughter. Um, Again, it's a far more complicated picture than that. Having spoken to many survivors myself, the theme that comes up time and time again is that it was inconceivable that they would be uh, anything other than resettled in the East. And when stories of um, death camps filtered back, they were in some on some levels dismissed as being just far too uh, monstrous, far too unbelievable to be true. Though obviously later on in the war it's uh, generally accepted amongst uh, Jews uh, waiting in places like Theresienstadt that this is indeed what is going to, to happen to them. Ben-Gurion himself said, Call me an anti-Semite, but I must say this, we are choking with shame about what is happening in Germany, in Poland, that Jews are not fighting back. We rebel against this kind of Jewish people. And in those words, there's something very interesting there, the idea of this kind of Jewish people, a, a, a weak and supplicant Jewish people, a Jewish people that take what is, is doled out to them. In Tom Segev's book, One Palestine Complete, he explores the uh, different ideas within Zionism um, about the possibilities for Palestine. And there are many Zionists who believe that a new country would produce new kinds of Jewish people. Instead of the uh, stereotypical, uh, the anti-Semitic stereotype of Jews that had existed in Europe of um, Jewish people being confined to professions such as uh, money lending or tavern owning, there would be a new, robust, muscular uh, kind of Jewish people that worked the land, um, Jewish and farming within the Palestine mandate, had a particular romantic and spiritual resonance. And that the kind of new Zionist man would emerge... And you can sense a flavour of that in Ben-Gurion's words, that the, the Jews that he wanted to see were fighters, not victims. I suspect in the heart of both Amos Oz and, in the, and David Ben-Gurion that in reality neither of them would really have condemned Holocaust survivors for the misfortunes that they had befallen them. But it was a way of articulating this new sense of what it meant to be Jewish after the Holocaust and on the eve of the creation of a Jewish nation state. 
There was an unspoken fear in Ben-Gurion's heart that the mandate of Palestine would not be the only draw for Jews fleeing Europe. Of course, there were other countries such as the United States, parts of South America, um, Canada, Australia, South Africa and the other British dominions. And there was some limited uh, migration into Great Britain as well. The demand before the United Nations for a Jewish state would therefore be diluted as the Jewish diaspora continued to exist beyond the borders of the anticipated new state of Israel. And opponents of Israel across the Middle East would again be able to make this case, saying, well, what is the need for this Jewish state? They can settle around the world. So Ben-Gurion, despite his previous comments criticising the Jews of Europe, makes a tour of camps, displaced persons camps, uh, across Europe, giving talks and lectures about Palestine and uh, the idea that a Jewish homeland could be established there within a matter of years, but it simply needed sufficient numbers of people to travel there, and that not only could it be a sanctuary for the persecuted Jews of Europe, but the persecuted Jews of Europe could actually be part of the process of creating it. Ben-Gurion was realistic enough to see that the weakened British Empire, who were in a state of chaos over the question of Palestine, just as the question of India um, was dominating British imperial thinking at the Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. At the same time that the British Empire was a significant obstacle to the creation of a Jewish state, and that many uh, mandarins in Whitehall and military and diplomatic men and colonial officials in Palestine were not overly favourable to the cause of the Jews and often favoured the Arabs instead. Ben-Gurion believed that the Holocaust itself 
could be used as a device, uh, as a tool. Um, he said, during the Second World War, we want Hitler to be destroyed, but as long as he exists, we're interested in exploiting him for the good of Palestine. And after the war, he said, the Jews in uh, camps had to operate as a political factor. In the struggle ahead, we have on our side three major forces. The, uh, the, the Yishuv, the Jews in the Mandate, America, and the displaced persons camps in Germany. The function of Zionism is not to help the remnants survive in Europe, but to rescue them for the sake of the Jewish people and the Yishuv. The Jews of America and the displaced people are allotted a special place in this rescue. He also said, The disaster is strength if channelled to a productive course. The whole trick of Zionism is that it knows how to channel our disaster, not into dependency or degradation, as is the case of the diaspora, but into a source of creativity and exploitation. So he encouraged displaced Jews from across Europe to pour into the American zone of occupation as long uh, as uh, quickly as possible. Um, he said that the Americans know they will not remain in Munich forever. The one place uh, you can go is Palestine, and that way you, speaking to a Jewish audience, will generate American pressure. He told Jews to bring refugees in quickly. That will be a major factor for the Americans to demand their removal to Palestine. If we manage to concentrate, say, a quarter of a million Jews in the US zone, it would increase the American pressure on the British, not because of the economic problem, that does not play any role with them, but because they do not see any other future for these people anywhere except Palestine. As we've previously said on this podcast, Truman was a convert to the cause of Palestine in part because he saw it as an alternative to mass Jewish emigration to America. Ben-Gurion also had to manage his relationship with the father of modern Zionism, Chaim Weizmann, who was in his dotage, he was 72 years old uh, by 1945, and was not in the best of health. Weizmann had been one of the most important figures in the development of the Jewish cause since 1917, and was seen as a political and moral giant by both Jews and non-Jewish leaders alike. He was highly respected in Britain and America, and was well-connected with British establishment figures. He was well-known to people such as Churchill, and he knew that these connections were worth their weight in gold. He believed that confronting the British would do no good, and that the only way in which building it would be possible to build a homeland in Palestine was with British help and connivance. However, the fact of the matter was that the British chose to back the Jewish cause when it suited them, and chose to abandon the Jews uh, when it didn't, and they treated the Arabs in roughly the, the same manner. And Ben-Gurion looked at the relationship that Weizmann had with the British, and saw himself him as an increasingly cosy establishment figure, unwilling to get his hands dirty, unwilling to be a more confrontational character. And Ben-Gurion also believed that in this moment in history, in the immediate aftermath of the Second World War, it would take conflict to create Palestine. It couldn't be done 
in a passive consensual manner that pleased everybody. The fact that Weizmann was in failing health and that a new generation of Zionist leaders was emerging meant that there was bound to be conflict and that the uh, figure of uh, Weizmann was, he was a character for older times really, that his time had passed. Weizmann said that there there was absolutely no justification for any violence against the British to force them out of Palestine and whilst Ben-Gurion's on the surface of things appeared to agree with that. He had um, links with Ergon and the Stone Gang and did not remove those links uh, even after the various atrocities of things such as the, the King David Hotel bombing. The irony that Ben Gurion would later face is that the Haganah, the uh, forerunners to the um, Jewish, the Israeli Defence Force, would wind up actually having to uh, have various armed showdowns uh, with Ergon and deprive them of their arms shipments. The version of Israel that Ergon was planning to create and arguably emerges later on with the rise of revisionist politics in Israel um, was a far more uh, brutal and martial country than anything Ben-Gurion had envisaged. Both Weizmann and Ben-Gurion slung insults at one another, uh, with Weizmann comparing Ben-Gurion to a Fuhrer, um, suggesting he uh, was a a Hitler-like character, which uh, was a pretty pretty wild accusation by and large. But at the end of 1946, uh, Ben-Gurion had really prevailed. Weizmann had been forced out by Ben-Gurion as head of the World Zionist Congress, and after that, um, Weizmann becomes a kind of diminished, marginal figure um, who be- really is forced out of the main thrust of Zionist politics. And once Weizmann had been forced out, the principal adversary that Ben-Gurion faced was, of course, Menachem Begin, who, as previously mentioned, was a Polish Jew born in Brest-Litovsk, in 1913 and coming to Palestine significantly later as a result of the chaos of the Second World War. Begin has an extraordinary journey, kind of almost global journey, in order to get to Palestine. Um, When Poland was invaded by the Soviets and the Germans, he was uh, arrested by the NKVD, um, the Soviet secret police, and was uh, accused of being a British spy. The Next stop for him was a Soviet prison and then the Gulag, and he later used to joke, what became of the British agent? He soon had on his head the largest reward offered by the British police. He made his way to Palestine after he was released in 1941 as a result of the German invasion and the amnesty to Poles in order to build a Polish legion that would fight the Nazis. And he brought with him... Um, the politics of the revisionist movement, um, as previously mentioned, of Vladimir or Zaev uh, Jabotinsky. In Poland, as a young man, Begin had been part of the Batar movement, um, which was the armed paramilitary ring of the uh, Zionist revisionists. And he brought with him to Palestine all of the values, not just of Batar, 
but of the anti-Tsarist violent revolutionary movements that had existed in Poland prior to 1917 and that had thrived there ever since in different guises. He was as uh, accomplished a revolutionary as Lenin or Trotsky and was a very much uh, from, of the anarchist persuasion of uh, propaganda via deed. He thought that there would be some kind of war of liberation uh, against those who had taken ancestral lands of the Jews and he believed that he was going to be part of the process of driving out the uh, occupiers of Jewish land. By 1944 he was head of Irgun and at that point it had 600 members. It had started out as a self-defence organisation um, in order to protect Jews from Arabs and Arab um, vigilantism. The Haganah, um, the militia of the Jewish agency, which had about 20,000 men, uh, and its uh, Palmach, the special forces unit, are highly trained men who had been um, trained uh, along with the maverick British general Ord Wingate, who before he formed the Chindits in Burma, uh, cut his teeth in counter-insurgency operations in Palestine against the Arabs. These bodies were hugely suspicious of the Irgun, as normal policing organisations and paramilitary organ official paramilitary organisations are, of um, vigilante startups that have uh, the fire of nationalist revolutionary politics embedded within them. Now, at some point in the future, I'll come back to the various terrorist campaigns of Ergun and Lehi, which was the uh, Jewish word for, the Hebrew word for uh, the Stone Gang. Uh, Ben-Gurion was a, a condemner of the violence uh, of both organisations, and he was no in no way sympathetic when the British actually caught and executed Irgun fighters. Uh, he said, uh, uh, when one was hanged, this was not a day of mourning but of mortification. I am not shocked that a Jew was hanged in Palestine. I am ashamed of the deed that led to the hanging. But he was canny enough not to completely disavow the organisations Irgun and Lehi. Because when the war ended, the British uh, attempted once again to halt the flow of Jews coming from Europe Ben-Gurion decided it was time to bury the hatchet with Begin temporarily and to create a united front in trying to resist the British because that flow of immigrants, that flow of refugees, was the fuel that Ben-Gurion needed in order to build his new state. And if that was cut off, Israel was cut off. There would be no Israel um, that would emerge, or if there was a much weaker one. Haganah organised the underground route from Germany to Palestine through France, um, smuggling uh, Jews uh, past borders and past blockades. Uh, but there was still an ongoing war of attrition, a terrorist war against British army trolls and police officers. And it was uh, Montgomery eventually, who was General Montgomery, Field Marshal Sir Bernard Montgomery, that was sent by Clement Attlee, the British Prime Minister, to Palestine 
in the end, uh, in order to take charge of the situation. Montgomery, before he'd cut his teeth in the desert, fighting Rommel, had been the man who had crushed the Arab revolt in the 1930s, and he uh, was ready to do the same to the Jews. Now, I think I'll leave it there, because obviously I've gone on for far too long, um, but in uh, a forthcoming podcast, I'm going to see if I can record it either tonight or in the next couple of days, we'll look at the uh, actions of the British during the uh, emergency in Palestine and really the, the mess that the British managed to kind of get themselves into over the whole subject of Palestine as well. And of course, let's not ignore uh, the political leadership of the Arabs um, and the problems that the Arabs were facing in 1945 um, as well. So we'll go back to this in, in depth uh, in the next uh, next couple of podcasts. Um, I hope you found this enjoyable and interesting and please if you can give us a good write-up on iTunes and check out our Patreon page. All the best, thanks, bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.